Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's important for parents and community to be teaching our history. I don't think it's something that we should be relying on the state, the school system, brands, TV, Netflix, or whatever to teach us. The reality with our history is we have to be the ones to tell the story, whether it was my mother talking about local politics in Ghana or wearing an Afro, the impact of the Black Panthers even before she came to the U.S., just the overall impact impact of standing up for your rights. This dual relationship where there were people learning from what was going on here in the U.S. and vice versa, because the fight against colonization and imperialism wasn't a one-way or an isolated incident. It was happening around the world, wherever Black people were. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Hey, Raman. So it's February. You know what that means. Uh, didn't we already do an episode about Chinese New Year? I think you mean Lunar New Year. Right, right, that. We already had that conversation for two years in a row. <laughs> right, but I think you're missing the other big event that also happens every February. We're not a sports podcast, Raman. I don't really care about the Super Bowl. Dude, it's Black History Month. Yeah, that's a given, dude. My husband is a black. My kids are half black. This is a thing. Right. But as we prove on so many episodes of this podcast, including last year's Black History Month episode, I am pretty sure we are not experts about the black experience when it comes to black history. Yep. Those are accurate words. We should probably find some people to join the conversation then. Hey, Stanley. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's Stanley Lumax, past guest and founder of African Chop House and Taranga. Welcome back to Modern Minorities, man. I'm so honored that you guys would invite me back. It must have been mm. a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It definitely was. But I think we need to have the Black female perspective, too. Ooh, Sharon, I got it. I got it. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Suzanne Sinatra, my favorite person. She's my sister from another mister. Longtime friend of the pod and founder and CEO of Private Packs. Welcome back to Modern Minorities, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me again. <laughs> All right. So, Suzanne, Stanley, mm. I know this might come as a bit of a shock to both of you, but Sharon and I are actually not black. What? So, <laughs> and look, we totally don't want to do the very tired thing of two non black people asking two black people to explain being black. But because I feel like every black person has been tiredly, repeatedly asked this, especially these past couple of years. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think what Roman's trying to not awkwardly say while being very awkward <laughs> is that we want to have a conversation about black history and what it means to you. This being Black History Month and all. Yeah, what she said. <laughs> so look, on, the, on this podcast, we've had conversations about Lunar New Year's, Ramadan, Diwali, and even Black History because Black history means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it's not a holiday. It's not like MLK. It's not like Ramadan. It's almost like a season or a recognition. So I guess what we really want to know is what did it mean for you guys growing up or when did it become a thing for you? Because I don't, I'm reading in my notes that you guys aren't just Americans. Suzanne? Yeah, so I'm not American. I'm from Canada. So this is not something that we recognize so for me, it just seems like a Hallmark holiday. If Are that. you the only black person in Canada? Uh, 
I am. No, Drake, Drake, duh. Yeah. Uh, no, and actually, my whole family's from the Caribbean. So being from an island that's predominantly black, yeah. every day is like Black History Month. Yeah. And we're bought over by the boats like everyone else. So it's not something we really recognize. Where here in America, it's like a big to-do and it's grounded in so much history and tradition and customs that I feel like a fraud celebrating it. But I do take advantage of it as a business owner. <laughs> that's that's American of you. Yes, yeah, so so. I, re- I read the benefits. I read the benefits of being <laughs> Black <laughs> for one month. And Stanley, how about you? So you're American and you're African. And what has that meant for you, especially now that you're raising children as well? What's Black History Month, the American version of it? Yeah, so I think... Very loaded question. I grew up in Plainfield, New Jersey, and the reality is until my parents opened their mouth, people don't, you know, know how to differentiate me from any other quote unquote black person. So I I embrace black culture or American black culture or, or what have you. That's something that has been just as much as part of my upbringing as my African culture. And to be honest with you, early on in life as a kid growing up in the States, it was my comfort zone. It was the thing that I enjoyed that I had in common with my predominantly Black friends growing up. So it was something I embraced. And I think the realities of every February, maybe learning a little bit more about George Washington Carver or the traditional individuals that are taught about it in schools during February was something that obviously I experienced just like anyone else. Obviously, as I get older or as I've gotten older, I've really embraced the fact that it's a made-up holiday that, yes, I think to some degree has benefit, but it also marginalizes and minimizes our overall contribution to to history in itself. If we're if mm-hmm. if we're teaching history, we should be teaching mm-hmm. history and not minimizing American history is black history. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And and it's not something that we only did a month's worth of work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I totally want to hang here for a second because I think Suzanne alluded to it as a business owner too, right? There's the commercial side of it, there's the Hallmark holiday side of it, and then there's the reality of of also educating students in school or communities overall about all of the wonderful people that have paved the way. And so I want to hear both sides of it. Like, I'm curious to know who are the people as you were growing up that you learned about during Black History Month that really made it either an impact or really inspired you? And then I'm curious to know from both of you too, as a follow-up question, like who don't we talk about that we should be, that we should know about, right? There's probably a list of, I almost feel like safe, safe people that were always talked about when I was growing up. The Martin Luther Kings, like I said, the George Washington Carver, who did a million brilliant things with the peanuts. Peanuts! But I mean, (laughs) those are the sort of Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, like they're on the safe list of folks. And for me, I can't remember exactly who it was, but... I discovered Malcolm X at an early age and he blew my mind. And with all the people that I was forced to learn about, he just separated himself in in every way, form and fashion and had a really early impact on me around the age of eight or nine. How did you, I want to dwell on that because American public school education, I grew up in Alabama Malcolm X, I don't even think got a line in the history books. I could be wrong. I could have just been a bad student. Yeah, he didn't make the safety list. Yeah, history's written by the winners, right? Like, and I guess the question is, how did you discover Malcolm? Like, I'm trying to remember how I think maybe the movie came out. I'm I'm trying to remember like where my awareness of Malcolm came. And obviously, as like an X-Men fan, people made the allegory of Aaron Magneto, Malcolm and Martin. But like how how did you discover Malcolm? Was it a friend? Was it a book? Was it a movie? And then what were those thoughts about him? Interestingly enough, I think the first time I I remember hearing his voice was from, I was joining the Cub Scouts. And where I lived, I think all of the Cub Scouts were black, including 
the leader. And he somehow mentioned Malcolm X. And it was one of those names that I had never heard anything like it. So I, I didn't understand. Cool name. Yeah. I didn't understand why his last name was a letter. And it just stuck in my head and just filed it away. But then I remember being in homeroom and we always had to read for the first hour. And randomly there was this children's book on Malcolm X and I picked it up and read it. And I think that's where the fascination started. Suzanne, what about you? Um, Again, sure, no Black History Month in Canada, but there are a ton of Afro-Caribbeans in Canada. Like who, beyond not having a Black History Month, who were the figures? Because I would imagine you don't get the five words of the American Civil Rights Movement, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, blah, 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 right? Like, I'm sure you hear about those, but like, who are the Black names? What are the Black events that they do talk about in school in Canada? I have no idea. Really? We were not taught it. I I really only remember the War of 1812. Wow. So we do know the part that we played in history because of the Underground Railroad, but maybe... It's a very small topic, a conversation during history class. It's not a lot. So where Florida and Texas is now wiping out the bad stuff from American history in today's textbooks, there's no mention of it in Canadian textbooks at all. So it's a little bit different because we're like ahead of where you guys are trying to go, which is the elimination of black people in history, like the the truth, the elimination of the truth of our place in history. And I'm sure there was more to black people than allowing people from the Underground Railroad to enter the country to be a safe haven, but there's no mention of it at all. And Canada is very is primarily immigrants, even now. Mm-hmm. But I think to answer the question that Sharon asked before, I think there's a lot of really wonderful Black people in our history books that are not dead, that I think that we could be learning about, like Mary Beatrice Davidson, who's a Black woman that created the sanitary napkin, or May Carol Jemison, who was the first Black female astronaut into space. Like She's not dead. She's still part of history. And I think we can learn about her. I do think being an outsider to this country, I think we're just focused on the popular people like Oprah, Serena, Will, Jay-Z, where I think there's like, we have a much more richer history. And I think it spans the whole gamut from science to inventors, not just entertainment and sports. Mm -hmm. I want to double click a little bit. So if it's not taught in schools and Stanley, same question to you. So there's the black history that is or is not taught in schools, but it's something we've talked with past guests about is the conversations that happen around the house. So like Indian history was not taught in school. Like I don't think Gandhi came up till 10th grade. Right. But you better believe like I knew who these people were. I knew who Gandhi and Nehru and stuff were as a kid because mom and dad brought it up around the dinner table or it came up at temple or things like that. So what being raised black what were the conversations? What was the history that your family wanted to talk about? So I can start with this one. So my parents t- told me that they mindfully did not raise me with any culture. Hmm. So we did not speak about black figures or prominent figures at all. They tried to raise me as white as possible. And I asked them why they made that decision. I can't judge them. I'm not a parent. And they said, we just wanted you to be accepted. So it was definitely not talked about in our home. Also, my parents are not educated. They both don't have Mm. a high school diploma. So to speak about it, they would rather leave that to the teachers, but the teachers weren't teaching it either. Yeah. So when you came to the U.S. and you heard about something called Black History Month for the first time, or you saw literally greeting cards or something Uh else, right? To indicate Uh it. Uh What was your response to that? That there was actually a a month or a date or three or four iconic heroes that were celebrated in this way. How did you feel about that? I said only in America. (laughs) Only in America does this stuff happen. Because it's true. It's only in America. Yeah. Yeah. 
and the names and the names like so martin luther king jr was 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 he not even a person you had heard about in canada when you were growing no, up no i don't remember malcolm i don't remember mlk huh. other than this speech all i know is this guy made a famous speech right but i had no idea what he had a dream about i don't know if it was a nightmare I know no, I knew nothing at the time about it until I actually finished my college education here in America. And even then, it really wasn't spoken about because I finished my college degree in Texas. Mm. And they're not trying to talk about black history down there. Wow. Something something I yeah. said on a conversation about MLK, we read Hoche Anderson's King in Alabama. I grew up knowing MLK Day as MLK Robert E. Lee Day. So it's like it says both sidesism that I didn't even know was a bad thing until like I got out of the South. So I guess Stanley, back to you, like what as a black man coming up in America across cultures, but still coming up in America, how have you seen the education of black history change for better or worse? Cause it, it, I hate to say it's state by state these days it is, but how have you seen things change like before we got to the last five years when people actually started to pay attention? Well, I mean, I think the, the biggest change I've seen is probably because of the industry that I'm in and obviously mm-hmm. seeing the impact of marketing and realizing that I wouldn't say it, it, it's changed other than it's become yet another tool for brands to connect with consumers. So mm-hmm. in the, at the end of the day, I don't necessarily see it as it's gotten better or worse. I I think it's now more strategic and more considered in terms of how it potentially impacts the the bottom line. But to add to that, I would also say I think it's important for parents and community to be teaching um, our history. I don't think it's something that we should be relying on the city, the state, the school system, brands, TV, Netflix, or whatever to, to teach us, I think it's really important for us to to make the extra effort to put that into the lives of our, our children, just like anything else we care about, right? If you're religious, whatever your religion is, you make it a point of taking your child to some religious organization, temple, church, building, so that they can be <laughs> indoctrinated into that religion. <laughs> And I think the reality with our history is we have to be the ones that tell the story, right? Like you hear it all the time. As long as the hunter tells the story, the line will always be the loser or whatever the the quote is. Mm -hmm. The reality is we have to be the ones to tell the story. And I think Suzanne made a really strong point. Like parents have to, to have to make that decision. And if they decide it's not important, then it's not important. My parents were immigrants as well, and they definitely didn't put a, a ton of energy behind educating me on, on Black history, but it was something that was available. I think with them, between obviously spending the majority of their energy just trying to put food on the table, obviously there was a sense of pride in terms of the conversations I would hear them having, whether it was my mother talking about local politics in Ghana, or I remember she always talked about wearing an Afro and what I mean, like the impact of the Black Panthers even before she came to the US. So, I mean, those were stories that I would hear as a a kid. What stories did your mom hear about the Black Panthers from Ghana? I'm just genuinely curious, like what part of the culture, the movement exported itself such that a woman in Ghana before she came to America heard about it? Well, I mean, I think the reality is the Black Panthers had a a global impact. It wasn't just like yeah. a, a local thing. So again, everything from the style, from the Afro, the clothing mm. to the just just the overall impact of standing up for your rights. And I think mm. that's something that a lot of African the reality is right. Like a lot of leaders and from a civil rights perspective, learn from. African leaders as well. When you when you listen to someone like Malcolm X speak, you realize the impact of Patrice Lumumba on Malcolm. But I mean, so I don't think these things were sort of separated. I think the reality is there was in some weird way, this dual or reciprocal 
relationship where there were people learning from what was going on here in the U.S. and and vice versa, because the fight against colonization and imperialism wasn't a one way or an isolated incident. It was happening around the world, wherever black people were. Yeah, you see like certain sentiments like ebb and flow around the world. Like right now, we've got hypernationalism going around and it's it's really easy for Americans for us to think like rightfully or wrongfully so man I mean like one of our be- biggest exports is our culture and it gives us like the false confidence to think like ours is the culture ours is the driver of the culture when in reality it's not things are happening uh, we like to take the best and the worst from the world I don't have kids so how do I impact the future generation hmm if I don't have kids, like how, yeah. like how am I going to now insert myself into the conversation of Black History Month? Because it is important. Well, I mean, I think the reality is all of us have some part to play in, in, in and I, I don't even want to talk about it as Black History Month anymore. I just want to talk about it as we're all playing a part of history. And while we might not realize it right now as history is being created, when you look back five, 10 years from now and someone of our community is looking for a role model or looking for inspiration or even just looking for an example of someone who's done what we've done, we all of a sudden become relevant. Like, I, not not like I think it's a big thing or it's something like putting on my tombstone, but like something as simple as when people are talking about like African cuisine and someone mentions the first fast casual restaurant yeah. in Harlem or, or something of that nature. Like my name may or may not pop up, but I mean, yeah. and again, it's, it's, or those... remember that, remember that restaurant that we used exactly. to go to. Or exactly. That was, that was, yeah. But yeah, I think it's, it's those, it's the small things that we do on a regular basis that help us make an impact. I mean, I'm really big on mentoring and I mentor a ton of different people of all races, but I definitely do make it a conscious effort to, reach out to black boys and girls because I think they need it. When I was coming up, I didn't have any of that. And now that I, I'm in somewhat of a position where I can do so, I think it's it's really important to, to make that a, a point. And I think, Suzanne, with all the success and whatnot that you've probably gained in, in your journey, I think just sharing your journey is so important because there's so many children and, and you know of all colors that are going through a similar journey and looking for advice or looking for examples of how, how do I, what do I do? Like I, to your point, like there's kids that have grown up without, with parents that don't have education and they're trying to compete against kids who have parents with a ton of education and resources and finances and things of that nature. And being someone who's worked your way from the mud, as they say, and being that example is is super powerful because it shows people that while it's easier in a lot of cases for people to leverage the power of nepotism and resources and networks and blah, 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 even if you don't have it, if you have some level of desire, it can still happen. When I think about the small town in Plainfield that I came from, again, I, I wasn't really exposed to a ton and that's not necessarily the fault of the city but just again like i'm an come from an immigrant family whose parents worked multiple jobs and and really just instilled independence on me because they had shit to do you know what i mean like they could they couldn't be sitting with me for hours at a time checking homework like they trusted me to do what i needed to do because they had stuff to do as well you know what i mean but whatever it was, whether it was just watching how hard they worked and and not wanting to work that hard, or just again, seeing the impact of the community that that they created, all of those things impacted me later on in life. So I think those are the, the ways you make an impact, whether it's with your own children or influencing the lives of, of mentees. Yeah. I mean, I think so much of history is That way we have to think about history is also looking forward. I think both of you guys have touched on that thread. And I think there's black history stereotypically comes into this like global political thing. It's like, okay, these are the big names. This is what they did for the movement and the cause. But I think there's just as much to be said, one at the local level, but not just political at the local level, but the cultural and the commercial level. And that also applies to global, right? It's like, 
America's export is our culture, and so much of American culture honestly comes from the diaspora, the the immigrants, the mixing that we bring in, and Black culture has been there since the very beginning. And I think this like cultural and commercial export how how do we bring that in that that sensibility of the not just the struggles but the successes we've had, Stanley, whether it's the restaurant in Harlem, that the the African restaurant, Suzanne, it's just being a success in business not because you're black in spite of being black, right? Like that's the story. That's the reach back. That's the, how did I succeed? How do I help others? So Suzanne, how do you think about that? Cause you, you've alluded to the business side of things, like beyond just saying you've got a black history sale. Is it stepping into the spaces and using the month as an accelerant? Like how, how are you viewing it for the future? So I'd like to, and this is your run. I'd like to really mentor young kids of all races, my heart does go closer to immigrants because I am an immigrant here. And being an immigrant, you just don't have much resources less than the resources for people that are born here. So regardless of your background, if you're not from here, I want to help. And I do try to align with kids that that allows me the opportunity to be the mentor I never had. Because I had to learn everything the hard way and regardless of your race, because hardship hits everyone. But I don't take advantage of Black History Month when it comes to promoting our product. I do take advantage of Black History Month when it's a chance for me, an opportunity for me to step up and mentor or talk about what has made me successful. Because what's made me successful in business had nothing to do with money. It was 1,000%. It had to do with discipline. And you can't Mm -hmm. put a price tag on that. And that's what I want to instill in people is that what you need to be successful in business doesn't have a price tag. And if there's an opportunity for me to speak about that during Black History Month, because the attendees listening to that event or attending that event, they'll be more receptive to hearing that advice. That's what I do during that month. But I really do it 12 months a year. Yeah. I think what's so interesting about your story, Suzanne, is that it is a story of someone who has overcome the odds. And I think that's, and that's from a health perspective, battling Mm -hmm. cancer. It's from, it's from a, being a female business owner. It's from like, you are one of so many hundreds of thousands of one in a million, like like you are truly, as, as Stanley was saying, you're, you are creating history because you're just so unique with the combination of your background, your situation, your, your passion points. And I think what's interesting is you started off talking about pop culture icons, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think what I find fascinating when I think of Black History Month and when I think about its relationship to entertainment is a lot of times when we think of role models, we do think of celebrities or we think of people with platforms. And so whether it's Jay-Z, like you had mentioned, or Oprah, it's people that have a way to share their story and they're in what they're doing. They're reaching a lot of people. And because of that, people are finding them to be much more accessible, right? Because it's like, hey, I turn on the television and this person's in my living room or I turn on the radio and I hear their song or I go to a concert and I can interact with them in that way. And I think what we, what we sometimes don't remember as minorities or as children of immigrants or as people that Mm -hmm. feel like we're part of these marginalized communities is that we are, we're creating this new path. Right. And so just by, just by showing up in a room, you bringing Mm -hmm. the five different unique experiences that you bring into that room just because you've woken up that day makes you that role model that, that then allows you to carry that forth. And I think the more, it's almost like the more we can recognize that in ourselves, the more we can then pay that forward because, because I know for someone who like being an Asian American woman, there were a few people maybe as I was growing up, like there was like Connie Chung, who was like a news anchor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. there was like Miss Saigon came out as I was growing up. Like there, there were these like little points of, Hey, she's, she looks like me or like Mulan finally became a Disney thing. Like those types of things. 
And I think the more we can tell our stories, the like that's how you're going to be able to impact that next generation. Someone's going to pick up an article or see your face or hear you on a podcast. <laughs> right. And, and, and the thing is, like, you have to determine your own success too, right? Like what is your measure of success for yourself? Because I've been told by many VCs and journalists that say, well, Suzanne, you haven't raised a million dollars, so you're not successful. Hmm. Okay, cool. I'm successful for me, and that's right. all yeah, right. that matters. And yeah. I think that's what we have to also teach younger kids of any race. The success bar is what you set for yourself. And then being the immigrant, the fact that your parents came from another country with one suitcase or as little few of their belongings just to keep their travel light is a success. Believe it or not, you may not see it because that's not the measurement of today. Like if you have an NFT, that means you're successful. No, it's not. That's not how it is. The fact that you will keep your family together under one yeah. roof and everyone stayed off drugs and everyone went to college, that's a huge success for a parent. From a, both a commercial and a cultural perspective, Sharon was alluding to the representation side and we've danced around that, right? To be a successful blank person for younger blank people to see that success. I, I, and I do think that's valuable, but I think it's, and that maybe this is why black history Month has to exist. I think so much where we did our lunar New Year's episode where we, you know, lunar New Year's Chinese New Year's has been a recognized celebrated holiday in New York city. It's now one in California, I think state of California now. And that's great for all the little Chinese kids but that's actually greater for the other 90%, right? For the other people to be like, oh, this mm. is a significant thing. We need to pay attention to it. And so when we come back to like commercial success or cultural success, it's it's like Stanley is a successful restaurateur. Suzanne is a successful entrepreneur. And they happen to be black. But that's the second thing, right, that people see. But I think the non-black people see that and it becomes a normalized thing. It's not unusual for a black person to be successful at X thing. It's not unusual for there to be an African restaurant on the Upper East Side, right? See, but I mean, I I think for me, the the challenge I have with that, Mm. and it's not that I disagree with it, but like, and and even having a restaurant and and understanding the economics of of business and Mm. consumers and so on and so forth like i'm not in the restaurant business because i need a million people eating at my restaurant Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. hey look there's probably a guy with a similar background who's that is his goal and he's going to be 20 times more successful than me but for me i don't do it for that like Mm -hmm. I, i do it because i want it to be a reflection of my overall culture and i it's the way I live my life, I, I, mm. I do things that reflect my culture. And if you are interested or want to learn about my culture, I'm, I'm open and willing to help teach you or expose you to it. But it's not being done for the sake of others. It's being done for me and, and my culture and, and the people who look and, and feel and and understand where I come from. And again, I'm not saying that from a perspective of, no, if you're not African, you can't come to Taranga. Like that, right, right, that's right. not what I'm saying at all. But I think there's a difference in terms of, I want to create something for everyone versus I want to create something for specifically people that come from where I come from. You know what I mean? Um, and be totally honest. Like, I think that's, that's one fundamental difference between African Chop House and, and Taranga. Taranga is a restaurant, right? So we have the realities of, of business that we have to cater towards. Whereas mm-hmm. African Chop House is a reflection of my childhood. It's a brand that I, I specifically built to reflect that childhood. So I can be a little bit more um, considered in terms of what I will and won't do. Yeah, I, I think as creators of things that are being put in the world, both you and Suzanne, the most important, and literally all of us as 
people who have families and relationships like your own success is how you should define success first and foremost like i don't disagree to that like i found myself becoming much happier with my personal and professional life once i stopped giving a shit what other people thought and it's like this is my piece this is what how i want to do it and i'm going to do the best damn job possible of it right so i have pride in myself but when i when i sit outside of my shoes or outside of both of your shoes as business owners and creators it's important that you succeed for yourself. It's, it's important that we succeed for ourselves. But in the meta, in the macro, I think it's equally important that, and maybe this is more for African Chop House, like other people need, other people outside of the culture need to have an appreciation, but also a normalization of it, right? It's like we had this guest, <laughs> Asian guy, Hollywood actor, producer, and he is, the joke is he's the biggest. Hollanotes fan. He likes to say he's the biggest Asian Hollanotes fan, but no, he's like, no, I'm the biggest Hollanotes fan. Period. Because he needs other people to just be normalized that there's an Asian guy showing it up to a Hollanotes show, right? And I guess it's like, I mean, why we do this podcast, right? Like, we are two Asian podcasters, and we don't. I mean, it's great that we have Asian listeners, but it's actually more important for us to have non-Asian, or when we have a Black History episode, for non-Black people to be listening to this episode, right? Like. I just think exposure is important. And if you don't have exposure, then you have, I don't know, bubbles or people fill in the narrative with the wrong things if we're not careful. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. That's my own soapbox. I agree with you because also having that gives other cultures an opportunity to create their own month, which has happened. Hispanic, Asian American, they, they have their own months as well. But I think it also gives people permission to try other cultures while giving them an excuse to try it. Like, oh, it's Black History Month. Maybe I'll go to African Chop House because it's Black History Month. I want to try something new. So when they go tell their friends and their friends are like, well, why did you go to an African restaurant? The person's like, oh, well, it's Black History Month. So I want to do something. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. And, and I'm saying this to be a little bit, you know, contrarian, but like. Please do. Please do. Like. <laughs> I, I don't really want somebody at African Chop House that's there because it's Black History Month. Or come because it's good food. Come because you want to try something different. But like this this checklist of, ooh, I'm going to do something because it's Black History. I, I don't think, I'm, I, I'm just speaking for me, but I, I don't think that way, right? When I wake up, if I feel like I'll go to a Puerto Rican restaurant, like I'm not waiting for Hispanic Heritage Month to do that. You know what I mean? Like if I want... But not I, most I don't people know. are like. It, but most people aren't like that, though. No, I mean I, that's a fair point. But I, I try to live life. No, wait, wait. What, sorry, what we're I think what we're saying, Stanley, is it's not. Uh, and I think we're all dancing on the same thing. As the owner and the creator of the thing, it's not incumbent on you to shine during Black History Month, right? Or for me to broadcast. <laughs> I did a Diwali episode on Diwali, but that's the Indian guy. But so maybe we, the podcasters, are the problem. No, but like, but. I think what Suzanne and I'm like, I'm trying to bring the other 90% along. We all have like a majority brain and minority brain. And like, there's, yes, you should eat Chinese food year round, not just during the lunar new year. You shouldn't have chicken curry on Diwali. Let me, let me give you an example, yeah. right? Like I just, I just, I just, Art Basel, everyone familiar with Art Basel? Yeah. So, so I just did two back-to-back -back events at Art Basel in Miami two African chop house events, right? I did one on a Friday. I had everyone from the art world and blah, blah, blah. And I did another one on Saturday in Little Haiti for, you know, for the community. And again, I didn't wait till Black History Month or feel like Black History Month was the thing that was going to make people interested, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and for me, it was, that, that would minimize, to your point, my ability to make a greater impact, right? Because yeah, yeah. we exist and, and we're relevant and impactful, you know, throughout the year. I mean, my, probably one of my biggest African Chop House events was during NBA All-Star in LA. So for me, it's less about trying to fit everything I do during, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but I, I just think holistically, mm -hmm. Black History Month is problematic for a bunch of different reasons. And mm -hmm. For me, I don't. I, I literally don't wake up and think, "Hey, it's February 1st, You know what I mean? And I think being in marketing, I also see the the reality in terms of the, just the hypocrisy in terms of why brands are actually doing what they do during Black History Month or Hispanic Heritage Month or Women's Month. Like it's it's all a strategy. So it's not like they're doing this because 
oh, we're an authentic brand and we actually believe in this. In, in the majority of the cases, it's not because some right, of the but, conversations that are being had, you know, are, are not about authenticity. Right. But we're not talking about you as a business owner. We're talking about me as, say, the customer. I may come to your restaurant during Black History Month because it being Black History Month gives me permission to leave the Applebee's and the food chains to live out large, to try something different. And by you saying you do not want to appeal to me just because I want to come visit you during Black History Month, because that's what I feel like I've given myself and the world at large has given me permission. You don't want my business? Like, No, I that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he's going to He's going to put himself out there year round, Wait, and, and said, you're coming up from the consumer perspective. But, but also, let, let, me, let me just add. Let me just let me just add to this. Let me just add to this, right? Did you so, did you not say that you don't necessarily want me to come visit you just during Black History Month because it's Black History Month? Yeah, I said I want you to come year round. Well, I want you to come to my restaurant because today, Time Out just named one of Manhattan's 39 best restaurants. Okay, great. That's, now, that's, a, year, that's a year yeah. round thing. That has nothing now, to do with my history. Say, for instance, they did a Time Out did a feature of, of you for Black History Month. And I'm like, oh, I saw you for the Black History Month issue in Time Out magazine. And I decided to come uptown. What you going to tell me? You ain't serving me? Or you don't want me here? I'm not welcome? Of course I'm not going to tell you that. Right, but because because getting me in the door for Black History Month, I think that should be cool. Now, if I return because of the experience, that's different. And I think Black History Month and all the other ethnic months gives people permission that actually need it more than they think. But why do you need permission? Like, it's a a restaurant. Like, come because the food is good. Because you want to experience something different. I think people are more scared of going outside the norm than we give people credit for. Yeah, but I think it's a paid and an earned thing. So, for example, the examples you guys have both just given are two different types of marketing. Uh, It's like what Stanley's saying is his paid and owned marketing efforts are year round. Come in because we're fucking awesome. And what you're saying is, yeah, look, if there's an earned media opportunity that you happen to get the timeout mentioned during Black History Month, that's fine. But Stanley's like, I'm not going out to pitch for that necessarily. For example, this podcast consistently gets featured during AIPI Heritage Month. Of course. Yeah. May is our highest month of getting attention and listeners and all of that stuff. Yeah. Like we get features, we get sponsors. It's stupid and uh, it's fine. We're not going out of our way to pitch and market that month. If we see a surge, I guess that's fine. A rising tide lifts all boats. But to Stanley's point, we're out here every fucking week, like having a con- this conversation, and we hope people come in. But we do see a bump in May for some reason. <laughs> but that's yeah. earned media. It's not our paid and owned effort, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, same thing with my restaurant. Like yeah, we, we, yeah, yeah. we get a ton of people calling us in February for catering, and it's like, hey, it's Black History Month. Let's try something new. Ooh, what about right. Jalof? I mean, yeah, we take the business, but it's not necessarily something that like we we hang our hat on, like where you're. Look no further than us for for Black History Month. I think we we have bigger ambition than that. I think the consumer does hang their hat on that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And let them. And we we will take their business is what we're all saying. Yeah. But I hear you too, Suzanne. I think the flip side of that is also what business is. Like, when is that passable, right? So like you're doing your thing all year round. Your menu is probably pretty consistent all year round. And February is going to be the big influx of headlines and interviews and people wanting to just new, new potential. Stanley, here there's a lot more peanut butter dishes on your menu. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think that these historical months, these ethnic months, I think to just look at it just for black people or just for Hispanic or just for Asian, I think it's limiting. I think it gives non ethnic people permission to celebrate those holidays yeah they want to i think think my challenge would be Mm -hmm. my challenge would be to break the bubble is to make the programming different every time so sure you get this we get you guys get the stage this month we get the stage that month don't say the same damn things like we've made the george Washington carver jokes it's like there are tons of figures from the past that we don't talk enough about there's tons of people making history today like we're 
I think we need to change the count. You get the spotlight once a month. You should, you should be operating like you're in the spotlight year round for sure. But it's like every month, should we change the conversation? I mean, dude, and, every- and, then, and then on top of that, like we have the shortest month. I mean, come on, guys. Oh, <laughs> come on! <laughs> but, but, come on. I, 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 I can't subscribe to it. I mean, I'm happy to educate people and expose them to black culture year round. And the reality is when you see the impact of, people on culture it is a year-round thing you know what i mean so look if it works for people awesome let's celebrate it in any form or fashion that works but i i also just wanted to be acknowledged that this is a culture that has literally impacted sports music medicine you name it around the globe around the one thousand percent so like minimizing it to february 28th depending on it's a leap year is it's just it's ridiculous <laughs> and, and it's like one of those things that like i'm supposed to be happy because there's a, a month given to to the culture that i'm from that has impacted the world on on a regular basis it's ridiculous it's insulting and for, for me to be happy about that it's just not something i'm gonna say i'm i'm happy about like yes i think it's great if somebody if one or two people feel like this is the opportunity for them to learn more about black culture then awesome but I don't want my people believing that Black History Month or what we've done, you know, to impact the the existence of humanity should be put into one month. Yeah, yeah. marginalizes it. Yep. So it seems like we're all fired up, and I think it's a good time for us to shift into speed round. What do you guys think of doing a very special Black History Month speed round? <laughs> I'm open to it. That was awesome. a fun pivot, Sharon. <laughs> I'm like, let's go. All right. We're all still friends, right? Yeah. We all all love each other. What's one thing you've seen or done this Black History Month that you might not have done before? A podcast? (laughs) I second that. A podcast. All right. All right. We're showing up to the store, though, guys. The customers are showing up to the store. At, at your store of knowledge what's a film tv show or book about black history now that we're showing up that you want us to go read or watch i, I would say the movie hidden figures with uh math. sorry math i'm a math geek yes yeah and i would say <laughs> king richard the story about serena and venus's father definitely how about you stanley what you yeah think? exterminate all the brutes it's a documentary series by Raul Peck, who's an amazing filmmaker, and it's mind-blowing in so many different ways. Like, it literally goes throughout the world and shows the impact of colonization and genocide on the African continent, the U.S. continent. Like, it, it's it's amazing. I would say, watch that. I would also say... Raul Peck made a film. The first time I seen a Raul Peck movie was he he did a documentary on Lumumba, Patrice mm-hmm. Lumumba, which was super duper powerful. And I'm sure most people know him because he did the I Am Not Your Negro, which obviously is also worth watching, which was about James Baldwin. So I got one too, and I'm so late to the show on this, but a close friend of mine recommended I'd been hearing about it and literally two nights ago I stayed up and watched it because I'm just a music documentary freak I watched Summer of Soul by Questlove and not only is it a great documentary about music about the Harlem Music Festival in 1969 it's a broader commentary on black culture and a little bit about black erasure like we all know about Woodstock and there was film footage of amazing performances by some of the most impactful black musicians not just of their time but of i mean you've got sly and the family stone you got stevie wonder you got blah 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 blah. like and no one knows about it this thing was six weekends in harlem bigger and better than woodstock but the the film and the footage just languished in someone's basement for 50 years <laughs> it's nuts and i mean i watched the beatles doc i'm a total white kid when it comes to music and i watched the beatles documentary over thanksgiving and it was this transformative immersive experience and that's what uh, summer of soul was like just uh insane insanely amazing documentary about a thing that happened that we don't know about i definitely want to watch it you've been talking so much about it <laughs> yeah let's let's like seriously like all go watch it and then come yeah. back and record a podcast <laughs> Okay. I tried to make my kids watch Summer of Soul over the weekend, and they just were not interested. Oh, 
<laughs> like, but that's just today's kid. Kids these days. Kids that's these like days. They have no appreciation. So final question. What's one thing you want non-black people to do this year after Black History Month is over? Um, I just want them to remember that our history is the world's history and it is not something that should be confined to 28, 27 days. I think that's the best place to leave it, man. I think that's a great answer. Yeah. Great answer. Well, Stanley, Suzanne, thank you for coming back to Modern Minorities and having a spirited discussion about what Black history is and is it, frankly. Yeah, year round. (laughs) And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Ramin Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.